Good to see you. It looks good there, hey. Robert. Hey, thank you. You look pretty good yourself. Well, we had a good talk yesterday. Um, and uh, this is for uh, Religion Unplugged, a podcast about, well, about an issue that you've worked on all your life. I'm talking with John Perkins, who is the president and founder of the John Perkins Foundation and the founder of Voice of Calvary and the founder of the Christian Community Development Association, the author of 12 million books and, um, and, and a hero. Um, and let me just give a little bit of your background and then you can correct me. Um, you were born in Mississippi in 1930, if I got that right? And, right. uh, and you were the youngest of uh, five boys. Of six children, I was two boys and three girls. So I got that, I got straightened out on that. But your older brother, if I've got this right now, fought in World War II and came yep. home and thought he could go to the movies in Mississippi because he'd fought in the war. And, and that night he was shot. Have I got that right? You got it right. It sounded like he was shot because he was going to a movie. He was going to a segregated movie on the uh, side. He wasn't breaking uh, the law. He was oh. see, it, would have been, it would have been breaking the law with me if I would have went late on. He oh. wasn't breaking the law. The law was segregated. Oh, so he, oh. So, yeah. so, so he, he wasn't breaking the law and he got shot all the same. He was talking too loud. He and his girlfriend and the people around there were talking too loud. And, and the deputy had come down and said, because we had to be in the side of the building, be in the front door line, get a line that carry us around the building and then upstairs to the back of it. He was standing there waiting for the movie to open and start in the, in the afternoon. And the sheriff did not want black folks to be talking out loud and because they were going to be around white folks. They wasn't out on the farm. And so they always went around and hit people on the head and tell them to be quiet. That was sort of normal. And so when my brother, they hit him on the head, him and his girlfriend was talking there, they walked up behind him and just kept clubbing him on the head. And he just reached down. Uh, turn around just out of the military and caught the club and the sheriff stuck back, stepped back and shot him two times in the stomach. And, and that was the end of that. It wasn't no ride, no, no nothing. Yeah. And, and even the black folks was afraid to talk to me almost when I would come to town because they thought I might have been plotting a plan with some other black to the, and so we had both believed our lie. That's at the heart of our own problem. That's what wow. Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and Adam got in with her. We have created a society where we have branded white as superior and black as inferior and we have supersized that. Yep. We are messed up with human dignity. Man was created to reflect the image of God in the world. 
and all these other things basically we're going to talk about and it might be a good thing we need to now this is our to talk about human dignity we need yeah. to talk about it with faith if this is what we want our belief system become the reality we try to make yep so when we believe yep. a lie both believe that lie and accept that lie we was forced into it by slavery yep and 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 and, and so we both believe it and totally culturized it ain't no other solution for that but to ask god for forgiveness now that's the way program can't do it well it can create an environment for us to do it but we got to forgive each other that's how you get rid of sin well john let, let's get back to the that because that's the main thing we want to get to but i want people to know a little bit more about you as i remember from uh from the, your biography and let justice roll down. Your grandmother put you on a train to California right after your brother was killed. Is that right? And aunt, my uncle and two aunts, her daughter had moved to California. And after my brother was killed, they thought that I, my life would be in danger. Yeah. And so they took me to California. Uh, and that's where I then eventually, that's why I started my life and come to know Christ in California. And, and, and I was in a better environment than I was in Mississippi. And, and people were still coming home, still coming home for missionaries. And mainly Africa was becoming popular among missionaries, African missionaries. I got converted and I would go to this place where these white folk were talking about, the black folks, and, but the good thing was in California, they were sort of glad I was there. That was the one thing that happened. And then they are the ones who sort of made me evangelicals because evangelicals was the one who was carrying the gospel into all the world, you know, and they was calling that good news of great joy. And since they accepted me, that's something I never told that. Uh, because when I left Mississippi, coming to California, I got a better job, better environment. In fact, they were mechanizing all of the society back in those days. And I helped to build the ditch to build the cables for the, all the underground mechanization. And so I was the first one hired to build a ditch. And then what happened for, as they would hire others, I knew more about the ditch just a couple of days. <laughs> and they put me in charge. And here I am, and they were hiring white, Hispanic, and black, because this was a big operation. And I, I was in charge of the, that was a big shift. It, it yeah. began a, a big shift. So my going to California was my savior. And then to get to know people, and then when I got converted, I was on a white and black environment. So I was pulling up the ladder. But then I, when I heard the gospel for the first time, really, my wife and the ladies in the community, white ladies and black ladies, had a good news club. And they came from that, my son would go there. He must have been three years old or so. And we would ask them what was he singing, what were they doing, and all that. I would when I would get home. And and he told me this song. His song was God loves the little children. All the children of the world 
red, yellow, black, and white. They all are precious and inside. Jesus loved the little children. I couldn't have heard that in Mississippi. That would have been against the law. It was against the law for white folks and black folks to assemble together uh, uh, at a public place. Oh, Lord have mercy. Sometimes yeah. people are like, have we made any advances? We have made an advance, some good advances, but we haven't utilized those advances. Right. The first in, enfranchisement, well, they proved that separate could never be equal. Fact, separate made you more inferior. We need to have been talking about the dignity of each other yeah. and, and loving each other. Our system is fraud today, and it's just as fraud now as it was then. In fact, the riot came out of that because you've got to keep in mind, for the last 30 years in America, or 40, we have had integration and even those marches we see out there we now have got to change the culture and the culture is that all man is we hold these truths to be self-evident that all mankind was created to reflect god his image to be the looking glass to god when we look at each other we see in god and not color coding it we end up color coding it when the roman was in power and when the church was gone, they color-coded the church. Just to make it Roman was to make it European and white. Yeah. And the church yeah. been splitting over that. All of our splits basically have been based on either somebody is superior to the other somebody. Yeah. So what we really got to do is get on our knees. And God teach us how to love each other. A person that comes to God must believe that he is, and we have to believe what God said he is. And God said nothing about black and white <laughs> being meaningful. If it was black and white, it would be more colorful. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. And, no, and I folks, know you are. I know you are. And you're, and you're right. Nationalism is ecclesiastic. Everything... <laughs> Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless until we believe God. And you got to believe that he is and that he's not a bigot. We got some serious problems here. And tokenism can't do it anymore. Peace building can't do it anymore. We got to have a holistic approach. And we got to include these damaging elements. And we're going to make a little that thing here now. They're, they might say you don't kill them when they is on the streets. Don't kill them when they're riding their bike. Don't kill them when they're selling cigarettes on the street. Don't kill them. We'll make a law. We'll make a law. And then rest the policemen. Let's rest the policemen. And let's send them to jail, too. Now, these need to be sent to jail. I understand that. But that's on a tokenism. We need to raise to a higher standard. We need to raise now and say, now is our. Now is our. Let's start over again. And that's what forgiveness is. Okay, that's enough preaching. Hey, preach it, John. Um, right now, there's a focus because of the, of the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the riots in, in reaction to it. Also, there's a, a, a young woman named Brianna and a man named Ahmed um, who, who were killed as well. Um, and is this an opportunity 
Um, is this, I mean, what way is this going to go, John? And what can we do? Um, because the attention is on it. People, I mean, people are on the streets of Corona Del Mar um, protesting and, okay. um, and all over the country. And I just heard you say that, that yes, those officers need to go to jail, but that doesn't solve the deepest problem. How can we make this an opportunity to change the game? I think for the Christian, let's make it this way. Now, we're not discriminating. We want to talk because God created us to be together, whether we're Christian or not. Amen. That sends us to evangelize all the nationalities of the world. And I think that a small group groups of us should begin to use what we are talking about here as discipleship. We wow. should use, we should come back and use the epistles again. And the wow. first is is First John. That's the first epistle. That's the first epistle that affirmed human dignity. And if we walk in that light, as he's in that light, we have friendship, fellowship, one with another. You and I are here together uh, uh, because of our fellowship together. Yeah. Because we got to know each other. We ought to be seeking to know each other. And I think we was. Yeah. You came write a story about my life. Out of that story, you met one of the guys that I was trying to make friends with, trying to <laughs> help him, and we were trying to help each other. We had met someplace, and and I was a speaker, and I was, and he asked a question, and I could didn't realize that he couldn't talk as fast as me, and I gave him my regular canned answer to the question, but he didn't give up on me. He went to his car, his little Volkswagen, and brought back in and gave me a book to read, and when I read that, when he handed me that book. I realized that he knew more about the issue than I did. <laughs> You're Wait a minute, esteeming what? each other half than others. Now, what he could have did is got mad with me. No, he said, John is not informed of us. <laughs> he, he can't get right if he can read right. It's, it's either coming together and serving each other. Not, he came to the meeting because he thought I knew more of this than he did. He affirmed my dignity. I abused my dignity. <laughs> for, but he, for, the, for, for the listeners, John's talking about my husband, Howard Amundsen, and how they met like 40 plus years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's what friendship is. That's what <laughs> love is. You see somebody, and it's their humanity that draws y'all together. Yeah. You look at that person, that person looks at you. And it's that humanity that draws each other together. It might be out of a common longing. I had to speak to the black legislators in Jackson about 10, 12 years ago. I went down there to speak to the black caucus. While I was on my way to speak to the black caucus, the guy who was running the conservative caucus, you know, he was the white caucus. Right. They codenamed him that. They didn't call it, the, it was nothing in that other one, but white folk, and there was nothing in black one but black folk. And so the white guy said, I didn't want to meet you, John. I'm having the conservative caucus. And I said, the white caucus. Yeah, 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 that's what we had. Uh, come down and speak to us on an issue, educational issue we were dealing with. And, and I said, uh, okay, I went down and spoke. 
and I spoke to the Black Caucus and, and all the Blacks went crazy. And they took pictures of all of the Blacks going crazy. I went down to the White Caucus and said the same thing and they went as crazy as the Blacks. I discovered then we had the same common need. Wow. But we didn't get together to discuss them. Whoa. John, look, you're talking about what the church can do and hasn't done so well, but it has done some. Um, what about the country as a whole? Our political leadership, what, what can be done? I, yeah. I, I have to take human dignity. We have to take that. And that should be for everybody. And fact of it is the secular world have done much better in many cases than the church because it's good business. <laughs> Good business. Now, I can remember when I saw the first black doll on a Cicero Buck catalog. Look at the market. Well, they it was a it was black was buying the product, but they really buy now. We dress alike. <laughs> we dress. Some other people said these Frenchmen and other people make our style. We don't make our own style. I remember we used to wear. Uh, during the civil rights movement, the idea was we was traveling, going place to place, and we were wearing a blue jean that would roll out in the knee. Boy, the stylist people got a hold of that. <laughs> Girl, I, I, I see a lot of meat now when I look at people. Because they got that meat, it looked like they don't warm out. But that's the style. Yeah. We now need to create a, a, a style of love. Love one another. Love is of God. I mean, I, I got to ask you one, uh, one more thing. Um, well, maybe two. But one is, you know, a lot of people say that our system, it's our, the structure of our system. And you've talked about that somewhat. But their argument is that the system is so corrupt, we have to change the system. It's systemic. It's built into the, every aspect of, of the social structures of our country. How does, how does reconciliation solve that? I, I think we could get, again, we have to test something. We have to test it. That's what I created CCDA to be. I wanted CCDA to be a big tent, but Christian bringing people who was demonstrating solution at the local level to bring them together annually and then to come up with ways to feed the information through those people back out to society. I think we, we got the resources. I think we got the know-how. I don't think we have to start all the way over again. We got a crisis on our hands. Yep. And you and I are discussing this crisis right now, and you're asking the best question. You're asking the best question, but we got to test some of this. Now, you're talking about now, Roberta, right. the urgency. That's why I'm answering it like right. I'm answering. Let's take what we already have sort of toyed with and research some others, and then let's look at how we can bring those to the market. We got to take it to the market. What I've heard 
is that what we have is a, a human dignity problem. And the way that we address that problem is by looking in our own hearts and repenting yep. and, and learning to love each other, um, that we understand that we are the human race. It's hard work. It's suffering. That's why he made uh, suffering his pattern of redemption. It's hard. He gave himself for us. He shed his blood for us. Yes, we got to come there and hang there. We got to give people the time that we get to know each other and to see you far off, we see you as an animal. This is a, a African proverb. But when I get close to you, mm. I see you. Wow. And so wow. Let's, let's not tolerate people, but let's be tolerant. Yeah. Let's talk. Yep. John, Let's there's, a, there's a piece of your biography that we didn't talk about, which is important here. Um, in 1971, I believe, um, you went to speak outside your own county, if I've got it right, and you were picked up by the police and no, nearly... No, you got a little wrong. No, little no. Wrong. They had been down the kids who were protesting the fact that we've been locked in jail in Mendenhall. They came down from... Jackson to test, and the policeman followed them and arrested them. And then I went to jail with the idea of bringing them out. Now the rest of it is what happened, how we was tortured in that jail. Just, just your narrative, because you wouldn't see that. But, okay. but what happened in the jail, that beating we got in the jail, and in that jail, I saw the evil of racism in the eyes of those white folks. Oh. And I, I know I was bri bribing God. I said, God, if you let me out of this jail tonight, I want to preach the gospel that can save us black and whites together. I want to preach the gospel. Oh. That, and so I had to then go to that place of getting rid of that hate you know who I got? How I got rid of it? No. White, well, white nurses and white doctors, black nurses and black doctors that already seen me as sort of a little image of something good. They healed me. Wow. They healed. They outloved me when I didn't want no white folks around me. I was operated on in a black hospital. I, didn't want, but even when I got there, I ran out to a black doctor. I mean, a white doctor was there with the black doctor healing me. Some of the nurses were white and black. Wow. We, we got to be wounded healers. Yeah. You know, when I talk to Howard all, almost all the time, when I talk to him, I tell him how much I love him because we are both struggling for the same thing. We were both struggling for meaning and acceptance. Accepting that humanity. You was born with some of that. You were born in a little town. You admired your upbringing. You was one child too. Yeah. You and your daddy had a lifetime job. Yeah. He didn't get rich for that. He could take care of you or they could believe in you. That was the biggest thing. Yeah. They believed in you. Yeah. They let you be a little venturous. Yes. That, yes. They didn't say you can't do it. No. no. They say, no. And, that, and that's what nihilism is, too. It tells you you can't do it because it's good. Nihilism is an outlet uh, at the barbershop. Yeah. You talk. It, but you don't do it. 
John, you what know, is the big? You know what? everything, but you don't quite implement it. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. John, what is the biggest threat to this crisis, I think? To this crisis be being an opportunity for a breakthrough for good in the relations among people. What is the biggest threat to that? I, I, I think it's dignity and uh, picking out what surprises me is when the people have to justify our president lies. Yeah. I had to wrestle with Clinton. I had to wrestle with those people who I served. I had to wrestle with Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Clinton and I had a discussion. He asked me why the evangelical didn't like him. I say, you moved too quickly. Uh, against the positive on abortion. You went too quickly on some of these issues. I think that's why we can't let our hatred, and I, I don't like to say, I like to love who would be my enemy. I don't like enemies because that's what took Richard Nixon down. If we Blacks claim it for Blacks, that's bad. If we claim this for the multifacetedness that it was, I think it's how we look at our victory and how we thank each other for our victory and how we love each other and how we see what a collective group of people can do. It can make us anxious and ready to go. And, 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 and we got to turn away from nationalism yeah. That that won't work. Christianity should not be nationalized. No. It shouldn't be colorized. I, and so I think it's how we look at what we have achieved. So I think right now we need to do some quick evaluation. We need to look, ask the question that you asked. Those are the questions we ask into the big public. And I and I think some of our vote will follow the same pattern that we have vote our issues so so john what's your uh, your final word here to where do we go from here the song is where do we go to, from here we go towards dignity we can have issues that is for all of us yeah so we keep looking we keep thinking we keep testing and we find the best that we have we need multi-facet, multi-culture theology. That, that's the gospel. We need Pentecost theology. Amen. Every nation under heaven serving God. I think those are the things that you can do. And I like to tell people things what they can do. I, I read an article that talked about how you, you remember very well the Great Society and Lyndon Johnson and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the building of housing and then the housing, some of it was, was more like prisons than it was like housing. And then that changed 55 years later after all that energy, after the work of Martin Luther King, his assassination, and then the work of people in the wake of that, George Floyd can still be killed by a white policeman in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Not in Montgomery, Alabama, not in Jackson, Mississippi, but in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That can still happen. 
and people have taken to the streets. It's gone deep, which is good. What is what hope can you give going forward to, to the people in the streets who are doing the honest protesting? Well, well, well that's the issue before us uh, right now. We, we're at a different world. We got to we got to integrate what we're doing now, what they see as the issue. They see the felt need. They see the felt need. So we got to show them that dignity is in this community. And dignity is how we treat each other all together. And uh, uh, everything we think of, we think of it as a, a dignity affirming. And and dignity is God's image in us. That means that all of us should be able to do that. <laughs> I, I think we don't keep need to put each other down. We need to affirm each other and challenge them to create dignity. Make that our first priority. That's what I'm saying. That don't stop us from doing what we already doing. Those are the things. It is teaching that gets it done, that we learn from each other. We learn together. Go to the people, live among them, love them, plan with them, start with what they know, build on what they have. And the good people like us who come in and volunteer, uh, we want the people to say, we've done this ourselves. We want to help them to do that themselves so they could be dignified. Like the little boy, somebody asked the little boy who helped to build a habitat house, uh, uh, they said, uh, somebody said, yeah, you was, uh, who helped you build this house? Jimmy Carter helped him build a house. He said, uh, my daddy. <laughs> to ah. him, his, his daddy was just as important as Jimmy Carter. Amen. Amen. That's a, yeah. Well, you got any last word, John? Love each other. Love one another. For love is of God. He that loves is born of God. He that loves not, knoweth not God. Hate was never to be used as a value. Hate was never to be used as a virtue in life. That's the best I can do. That's pretty good, John. If we do that, the world would be turned upside down. Well, we said, wherever you're at, love one another. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And we love you. So love you, love you so much. Love yeah. you too. I thank God for you. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by senior contributor Roberta Amundsen, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to our managing editor, Megan Clark, and our senior projects manager, Melissa Harrison. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com, and it's part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or the Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.